Hi, I'm Trevor Cochran and this is The Garden Gurus Live, a weekly show where I'll share seasonal gardening advice, feature a variety of gardeners from all across Australia and give listeners the opportunity to interact and ask your garden questions. To join the chat live and ask your gardening questions, all you need to do is like our Facebook page and tune in every week. This program is brought to you by The Garden Gurus and Scott's Performance Naturals. Scott's Performance Naturals is the 100% natural and sustainable way to grow and feed your garden. Backed by years of research and developed by scientists, the technology employed enhances natural processes, allowing extra strong growth. The Performance Naturals range contains organic materials such as Nature N, blood and bone, seaweed, biostimulants, manure and feather meal to improve the soil and encourage microbial and earthworm activity. To find out more about the Scott's Performance Naturals range, head to lovethegarden.com.au. Good morning, hello and welcome to the Garden Gurus. I'm Joanne Harris and it's great to be back with you on this Monday morning. I'm filling in for Trevor today. Um, We've got a wonderful show for you. Uh, Here's what's coming up. We've got the Garden Gurus, um, well, the Garden Gurus are celebrating this year their 20th year, quite an achievement. Did you catch the episode on Saturday? Look, if you didn't, um, head to nine now and you'll be able to catch up on that. It's well worth it. Uh, Great gardeners plan ahead and now it's time to be planning for spring. So David Van Berkel from Garden Express is here to help us do just that. Um, We've also got uh, healthy soils is a key to healthy gardens and I'm going to share some of my tips on improving soils and why we should be doing that doing that. I'm also sharing uh, my plant of the week with you. In fact, I've got two this week. Um, And then we're also um, going to answer all your questions, of course. That's what we're here for. So with plenty of prizes to be won, we've got some um, good fothergal seeds again today to go out. I've only got two packets there, but there are more than two. Um, And don't forget, when you answer your question, can you put your state Um, and the city in your questions so that I know some of the information uh, that I can give to you directly for your area and make sure, of course, that you hit that like button. So I think with the first question we're going to go to is Chris's and unfortunately Chris hasn't put uh, where he is. However, uh, there's a picture attached with Chris's and he wants to know what this plant is. So let's get that picture up so I can answer the question. And we haven't got it. So how about we moved to another one? No, we'll just wait a moment and we'll get this picture up. So we've got lots of things happening today. Um, Tune in, hopefully. All right, so I can see it now. They're showing it to me sideways here. Um, Chris, this is a Duranta. It's a Duranta called Geisha Girl. Uh, Really easy little plant to grow. Not sure where you are, but I know in Perth it grows really well. And it's in flower now. Um, Probably around Australia it's in flower. Uh, Great little plant. Doesn't grow much more than about a metre and a half to two metres Perhaps two metres here if you're living in the Blue Mountains. I doubt you'll get two metres out of it. Winter time, if you're in the colder climate, it may tend to lose some of its leaves, although it's not technically a deciduous plant, it may lose some of its leaves. Okay, so Chris, it's a Duranta Geisha girl and really, really commonly um, around in the, um, in the garden centres, so you'll be able to find that, no problem at all. Okay, so the next picture I can see that's up, and that one is from Catherine, and Catherine's also hasn't put where she's from. Um, however, what a healthy-looking plant. That's a Liriope, um, and, and I'm not sure exactly which one that one's called, but it's one of the purple-flowering Liriopes, obviously. Um, fantastic uh, plant to grow, easy, only grows to about 50 centimetres. Um, I know that in the hot weather, in the hot wind here in Perth, it tends to burn a little bit on the edges. So I am more likely to grow it in a uh, morning sun or in a slightly sheltered position, especially from the hot wind. It'll take the sun, but not so much the hot wind. Okay, so Tyson. Morning, Tyson. Um, 
and we have a photo attached he's saying what's wrong with my plant and why are the leaves turning brown um okay tyson so you've got a little plant there that needs to be inside um, unless you've got it in a very well protected area but over the summertime i think that you'll find that if you put that inside tyson and um you put a lot of um you mist onto it you give it some humidity it likes humidity um, and it looks to me like it's either overwatered or underwatered. So first of all, let's make sure we're talking about um, gardens and soil in gardens, but it's just as important in pots. Make sure that you've got a good quality premium potting mix or even better go for something like an indoor potting mix. Um, there's less humus in it and you'll get, get less fungus gnats if you tend to be on the overwatering side. Um, however, it looks like if the plant is crisp on the end, Tyson, um, then it's most likely underwatered. But if the plant is soft where it's brown, then that's usually a sign that it's overwatered. So get the watering right, perhaps put it into a sheltered position and give it some humidity by misting onto it and it should come right. Um, even a, a feed, it probably could do with a feed. Um, otherwise, uh, it's quite an easy plant to grow. Doesn't like full sun, uh, doesn't like direct sun at least. So if you've got it inside, put it on a south side window maybe, south facing window um, or in a kitchen but back from a hot window say. Okay, Tyson, so that's you. Misty from Adelaide. Um, Misty's photo is about to go up and that is, um, they are canners that she's got. So, and Misty's asking, when do you cut these? Okay, so canners are a great product. They just keep giving and giving and they keep multiplying. They're a rhizome. So they'll continue to grow, clump up, and you'll get more and more all the time. When do you cut them? I tend to deadhead them. The more you deadhead these, so you take off the flower um, as it's uh, growing and as, it, as the flower is spent, cut that off. Be very careful when you do so because the next flower is right behind it. So cut at the node and just be careful that you don't cut the tip of the next flower off. But the more you cut them, the taller they'll grow and the more flowers that they'll produce for you. Um, so I, and then to cut them back um, after flowering season. So generally that's um, somewhere around the end of autumn that they'll stop flowering. And then I cut them back to about, oh, two inches off the, whatever that is in centimetres, off the, the um, soil, cut them right back. Every, say, two or three years when they get too bunched up, then you can lift those rhizomes, separate them, move them on, give them to friends, put them in other parts of your gardens. Excellent plant to grow. Um, not drought tolerant, however. So you want to put those somewhere where you know you're going to be putting a, a lot of water onto the garden for whatever reason, or even in the margins of a, of a boggy area or a pond. Okay, so good luck with those. Great plant to grow. Lots of colours and lots of leaf colours that you can get now also. So the next one we're looking at is Shannon, and Shannon's in Bendigo, and she'd like to know what this tree is. Okay, so when I first looked at this, Shannon, I thought, I don't know. Um, when we zoom it up, the, the pixels are such that I can't see the definition of the leaf. Um, however, you also sent a photo, um, what looks to me like a kumquat. So I'm assuming that what we're looking at is a, um, is a kumquat tree. Um, and it's this, one of the citrus, it's in the citrus family. So, um, and I think just to give you all a bit of a hint, when you're wanting to, if you move into a new house and you've got two or three citrus trees, you're not sure what they are. And of course they haven't flowered because you've moved in at the wrong time for that. So you don't know the fruit on them. Grab a leaf off them. And if you squash the leaf of a lemon tree um, and then smell it, it'll smell like a lemon. The same for an orange, etc. Now you may not know what the, the smell of a kumquat is. Uh, so it's a little bit more difficult, but you can always tell that um, by the round fruit. So it's a little calamondin. Now I'm hoping it's not a really small, badly grown orange, but I would think that it's, uh, it's more likely to be a kumquat. Um, so treat it like any other citrus. Really beautiful ornamental um, variety of citrus. Uh, a lot of people grow them as toperies or in pots 
um, to um, highlight an area. Um, okay, so next we're going on to Eve, and Eve's at Jandicott Coburn, which is just in the southern suburbs of Perth. Um, and, oh, I looked at this one. Um, she has um, a kumquat. Oh, sorry, a kumquat. We've moved on from kumquats. She's got a, um, a mango. It's a Kensington Pride mango. And she's asking, is there a mango mosaic virus? I'm stumbling today. Um, so the mango, uh, the mango virus is not known to have a mosaic um, virus for itself, but I did speak um, with a friend of mine who grows fruit and, and he feels that he's seen it a fair bit in different ma in mangoes. So, yeah, it possibly is, um, is mosaic virus. Um, so it's going to be difficult, Eve, because there's really no, um, there is no, uh, nothing that will cure mango, uh, a virus, uh, the mosaic virus. You really have to get rid of the plant, unfortunately. Um, it depends on how much is in the tree as to whether you decide to maybe cut the odd branch off and that may help you. Um, but mostly once you've got mosaic virus, um, your plant is gone. Um, and I would uh, probably be uh, try cutting some of the branches off where it is and then see what happens from there. Otherwise, unfortunately, it's uh, down to the garden centre to buy a new mango. Um, okay, so Marina in New South Wales, we have a, um, she's got a lemon tree that has sap. So this could be a number of things and it's, it's a little bit hard to tell just from this. But I would think that you've probably got, or possibly you've got some borer in there. That's one option that it could be. So check for some small holes, see if it is. If you do have borer, the easiest way or the, the quickest way to get rid of them, I guess, is um, with a small um, piece of copper wire and poke that into each of the holes as you see them. Um, if it's not that, it uh, could well be that it's been damaged somehow. And therefore, what you need to do is cut away the damaged part so that you've got a nice clean cut with a, a, um, a good sharp knife that's been sterilised. And then make sure that the wood underneath is nice and smooth and you'll find that the tree will um, produce like a scar, but it will cover that nice and neatly and that's the, it, will, it, will, um, it should be fine from then. Um, also, okay, so we're on to Shiloh, and Shiloh's in Adelaide, and she's wondering why her kangaroo paws have flourished in the newly landscaped front garden, but their back garden um, have died, and she feels that it's everything's been done the same, so she's planted them out the same with the same sort of fertiliser, etc., uh, good compost. Um, well, it's difficult. Although you might have planted them the same, you can find that from the backyard to the front yard, from one metre of your garden to the next metre, can be quite different. And uh, it, it can be different um, conditions for the plant. All I can really think of is perhaps the back garden or the front garden gets more sun. Although kangaroo paws will grow um, well in sunshine, you can also find if you've got hot wind, that can, um, do, um, can do some damage, or perhaps the front or the back gets more or less water and you're perhaps overwatering some of them or even underwatering them. Um, it's, it's difficult to know. It could be that the front yard is heavier soil. You're in Adelaide, so it could possibly be that you've got clay soil um, and kangaroo paws don't actually like to grow in a heavy soil. They want a well-drained, good organic, but well-drained soil that does stay moist but um, but well-drained. So if perhaps the backyard where they're not doing so well is heavier clay and you haven't treated it with some gypsum or put in a, a good amount of um, compost, that could be your problem. Keep an eye out for black ink spot with them and make sure with your kangaroo paws that if one of the leaves dies, break it off, bring, take it off, clean up the plant and keep it nice and clean and you'll guess, get less pests and diseases also. Okay, so now we're going to Jan down in Albany, and Albany is, of course, the very south of West Australia. Um, Jan has a photo that'll go up 
with regard to her woolly bushes that are dying. Um, please help. Yes, I would want some help too, Jan. What a shame. It looks like you've got um, a hedge of woolly bushes and one in the very middle has just decided to go. Um, not sure how old your uh, bushes are, but they do only grow, uh, they only last probably 10 to 12 years. So it could be that it's getting to the end of its life. It could also be that it's got some Phytophthora. They are really uh, prone to a Phytophthora. So um, perhaps look at that. There's a product um, out that you could use, uh, Ritterot, I think it's called, and that um, may help. It may be that if it's a rot, if it's a Phytophthora, you want to get some of those out and, and get it out and put it on the other plants. Um, okay, so now we're going to move on. Uh, good luck with that, Aunt Jan. We're going to the southwest of Queensland. Uh, photo attached. So let's see. She spent $250 on two flowering gums. They're probably grafted if you paid that sort of money. Um, about eight months ago, and overnight the red one, so the red flowering gum, is sick as a dog with extremely dry leaves. And she started to give it heaps of water daily and my fingers are crossed. Well, you probably can pull off on that water, unfortunately, at the moment with the way um, we're going in southeast Queensland. I'm sorry uh, that you're having such terrible time with the, um, with the rain, so you're probably not watering it after the last few days. Look, again, this can be a Phytophthora. Um, it can be a number of things. If it's at the very top of the the tree it's uh, generally more of a phytophthora thing and then it works its way down um, it may be that um, the wind that i know you've had a fair bit of wind recently it could be that the wind has taken your retic away from that plant and not on onto the the one that's dying but still onto the good one um, but whatever that is and it's hard to know by just looking at the the photo uh, what it might be. Um, so I would suggest, Julie, that especially since you've paid $250 for two gums, you know, you've spent good money, you've invested in your garden and you want that investment not to be a cost. So I would um, probably go back to the, the grower, the garden centre, because they'll know exactly what's happened to it. They'll be able to help you with that and bring that tree back. Good luck, Julie, and good luck to everybody in southeast Queensland with all that rain. All right, so gardeners plan ahead, we know that. We all have to, it's the way it needs to be done. And now it's time to planning for spring. So this morning we've got David Van, Van Berkel from the Garden Express here to help us do, do just that. Good morning, David. Morning, Joanne, how are you going? Really well, thanks, really well. And you've got a fabulous offer for us today. Yeah, today we're gonna to talk about our uh, mega gardener's favorite collection. So. It's a beautiful collection of all our favorite spring bulbs, lots of easy to grow varieties, and it's a great pack, um, bumper value, 200 bulbs, half price at $60, and a good way to bulk up your garden. Or if you're a new gardener for flower bulbs, it's a great starter pack because it's got all of our easy to grow varieties in it. Perfect, perfect. Look, um, David, I looked at the uh, list of bulbs and I got quite excited about it. Um, it's an amazing um, value. At $60 for 200 bulbs, you can't go wrong with that. I guess one of the questions that I would ask as a West Australian, um, and look, I'll tell you a little story first. When I lived in the Northwest in the early 80s, I, um, and as a gardener, I, it was um, fairly limiting in the Northwest. So when I was in Perth once, I bought some uh, tulip bulbs, took them back and put them in my fridge for a number of weeks, and I grew tulips in the Northwest. Looked particularly silly, but they worked and they flowered. A few of them got a bit of thrip damage on them, but they worked. So I guess what I'm saying is um, customers shouldn't be afraid to buy all these bulbs and grow them all, almost all the way around Australia. Perhaps up in Darwin you want to put them in a pot and maybe grow them in your terrarium you know, or somewhere like that. But otherwise they're really easy to grow, aren't they? Yeah, they are. Look, flower bulbs are, are really easy. And, and I think, as you said, I think, People just need to uh, maybe have a little bit of confidence and experiment, particularly the tulips, uh, you know, like the cooling. So some bulbs benefit from that cooling. And probably the biggest enemy of bulbs is the, is the summer heat. Whilst they're mm -hmm. growing and doing their spring flowering, they're really quite strong 
And um, so even in those warmer climates, they'll be okay with regular watering. It's as they die down through those summer months that that bulb needs to be protected and kept as cool as possible. So I think yeah. you're right. If you're in a warmer place and you use some nice pots, some good quality mix, uh, and then put those pots in a sheltered, shady space under the veranda or something like that um, for the dormant time, you probably have some success with it afterwards. Yeah, and of course you can lift some of these bulbs too. So, you know, if you do plant them into your garden, and tulips do grow in Perth in the gardens. I sell your bulbs and um, I've got a lot of clients. I've got one particular woman who buys white tulips every year and has a magnificent um, standard of, of white tulips all through her garden. Um, so they do grow, they do do well here, but of course you can lift them too. And as long as you put some sulfur onto them and put them in a dry, warm position, uh, but not hot, obviously, then they'll um, last through nicely. Um, I tend to advise people here in West Australia too not to plant the tulips like uh, until the end of May. So Araluen, you probably know Araluen over here, of course, that um, has hundreds of bulbs, especially tulips. It's known for it in the spring season. Hundreds of people visit for it. They always plant at the end of May, beginning of June. So it works well here in West Australia. Um, but the other bulbs, I tend to wait until the hot weather's gone. So I wouldn't be suggesting people plant yet, um, but certainly cooler nights or cooler mornings. Yeah, I think mostly uh, we wait till so the moon planting guide says that from Easter would be would be the time to plant. So, you know, later in April for all the other bulbs, the freesias and things um, would be perfect. And as you said, late in May for the tulips and the hyacinths. And they'll grow up and, and yeah. come out very quickly. But, um, yeah, just getting those cooler things. And planting a little bit deeper also allows for the ground temperature not to get so warm as well. So yeah. if you look at the bulbs in, go with a little bit of extra depth um, as long as it's sort of free draining as well. So we normally talk about planting a bulb, say twice the depth of the size of the bulb, but you're suggesting maybe three times the depth of yeah, it? Yeah, absolutely. You know, get down to um, even 15, 20 centimetres deep would be fine with most of the bulbs. Yeah. Push their way through all of that soil. And uh, some of those um, hardier bulbs, the small ones, like you said, there's lots of bulbs in the pack. Some of them are quite small. Uh, and again, yes. the depth won't phase them to be a bit deeper. No, no, fantastic. And of course, when they are dying down, that's the time to feed them, right? Yeah, straight after flowering. So what happens with the flower bulbs is as that foliage uh, dies down, it's dying back into the bulb. And uh, a good bulb, like a tulip, will, will lose about 80% of its size as it flowers and then reform that size plus more as it's, uh, as it's dying down and regenerating. So... Feed at Father's yeah. Day or feed at flowering. That's the safest way to ensure the bulb's grabbing the nutrients as it needs it. Yeah, fantastic. So I know there's been trouble with the um, the, the growers of the bulbs this year. So when can we expect, um, when I pay my $60, when can I expect to see those um, coming to me? Look, we're probably still a couple of weeks behind. We're, uh, we're about 65% of the range has, has been brought into stock now. Um, you know, just suffering from the COVID impacts of staff with some of our growers, yeah. like temperatures, transport, lots of those things. Uh, so it will take us a couple of weeks to catch up on, on orders that we would have been shipping out throughout the whole of February. So uh, get your order in and we think we'll be up to date through towards the middle of the second half of March. Okay, well, that sounds good. We don't want to plant before then anyway, so that's fantastic. It's all about the planning, isn't it, Joanne? Get in early, get absolutely. your... Absolutely. Yep, yeah, terrific. absolutely it is. Thanks for your time this morning, David, um, and thank you for a, a fabulous um, giveaway. It is a no giveaway. Problem. I know. <laughs> all right, well, well, getting half of it away for sure, but yeah, now nah, look, our, our pleasure, and uh, yeah, just go to gardenexpress.com.au and, uh, and the Mega Gardener's favourite pack will be there in the spring flowering bulbs on a banner. So all good. Well, you've done it again. Thanks very much, David. Nice talking to yes, you this morning. Yeah. See you Thank later. You. This show is brought to you by the Garden Gurus and Evergreen Garden Care. Evergreen Garden Care and their market-leading brands are some of the most trusted consumer brands within the garden care market. They produce high-quality garden care products designed to help people create their own green oasis. Whether it's a garden, a balcony or potted indoor plants, they want to inspire anyone 
anywhere to be able to easily create and maintain their own garden. To find out more about Evergreen Garden Care, head to www.lovethegarden.com. Well, that really is a great bargain. I think you should be getting on to that one. Um, remember, um, we're going to get back into some Q&A, some question and answers for you, but remember to include your state and please don't forget to hit that like button. All right, so Annie. Annie has a photo also and she wants to know what this plant is. Now, um, the plant is an arthropodium or what I know it as also is the New Zealand rock lily. It um, has been one of my, my favourite plants for a long, long time. It uh, grows really well here in Perth in a more shaded position, um, dappled under trees in a dappled light position also. Um, and I think the, the flower head that I'm looking at is, um, is finished. They usually flower over December, January um, is when they flower, um, but yes, it's a beautiful plant that you've got there, the Arthropodium. So let's go on from Annie. That's really thrown me. I'm so sorry. It was probably my daughter. <laughs> okay, so Sandy is in the upper southwest of South Australia um, and she's having issues getting her beans to sprout in my wicking beds. The, seed, the seeds seem to go rotten before sprouting. Any tips on how to overcome this? Yeah, look, um, Beans will rot in too much water. They'll rot in too much heat. Um, so I'm not sure, and, and I have to admit, I've never grown in a wicking bed. I think I need to probably give it a go, um, but I've not done so. And I think perhaps um, we need to look at um, sprouting them first, germinate the seed, and then put it into your wicking bed um, might be the way to go. Um, there's a, a wonderful guy here on Facebook on in WA, uh, Brian, gosh, and now that I've said it, I don't remember his last name, but he's uh, he knows so much about wicking and he's very good at wicking beds. You should um, look him up in the, um, uh, there's probably a wicking beds association. Um, but Sandy, I'm sorry, I haven't got too much more to, to tell you except that I know beans will rot in too much water and certainly too much heat. Um, so we've got Nic Nicola, uh, who's at rural central Queensland. Um, this year my mango tree didn't bear any fruit. We had more rain than usual this season. The tree looks healthy. It's probably 10 plus years old. Do you know why this would be, why this would be the case? Well, um, I'm assuming that you haven't changed your um, your uh, fertilising regime with that, Nicola. Um, perhaps it needs a little bit more. Sometimes trees, if they did, it give you a really good um, uh, fruit last year. Did it give you a big amount of fruit? And sometimes that can happen. The first year they'll they'll fruit really really well, and then the second year they'll fruit less. But why you've got no fruit on it, I'm not too sure. Um, what I'd like to do with that one, though, is because it's something uh, that I'd like to get onto for you. Nicola, could you leave that one with me? Um, I'll get your details off Facebook and um, I will, uh, uh, I'll get back to you. I'll get some better information for you on that one. Um, sorry about that, Nicola, but I will get back to you on it after the show. Uh, James, and we're not sure where James is from, and he's wondering what could be eating my petunia flowers. They've also wiped out dozens of tomato seedlings. They ate the foliage one night, then ate the stems to the ground the level the next night. There's two or three things that that could be, James. Uh, first thing that comes to mind at the moment, there's a fair few caterpillars around in my garden, so it might be caterpillars. Um, it could also be uh, crickets. Uh, we've got quite a lot of those in West Australia at the moment. Um, but the other thing that it can be is an overabundance of slaters. Um, and they can, if, they, if there's not enough mulch in the ground where they naturally want to go and um, then they'll start attacking the plants. So good, another good reason for having mulch on your soil. Okay, so hope that helps, James. Get out there at night time and see if you can find them. Um, often that's where you will see them um, and uh, post a picture on and, and we can certainly help you with that or take that picture down to your local garden centre and they'll help you too. 
So Scott in Beaconsfield, and he has several waterhousia plants and they're being attacked by aphids. What is the best solution for fixing this? Well, aphids is something that you really do want to get rid of because aphids is something that will, um, will carry pests, uh, sorry, diseases from one plant to another. So you certainly want to um, make sure that your plants are healthy. Um, I tend to use um, a natural um, one called Ecofend. Um, I much prefer a, a very natural product than something that's, um, that's more systemic and heavy. If you've got them on your vegetables and they, you do need to use something a little bit more, Success, Yates have a very good product out called Success and it's a natural product. So I would be inclined to, to get those on. And yeah, you do need to do something. You, look, if you've got time, Scott, you can go out every day at midday and spray those aphids off or squish them off. Um, but if, it's, if you've got a lot of plants, that's not generally um, something that's practical. Um, Liz Downen is in Meadowbank in Sydney, and she's got a thyme in a large multi-planted planter that was decimated by caterpillars and is struggling to recover. It's got a lot of room, isn't competing, and I've given it sea salt, but should I repot it into a smaller pot while it's recovering? You could certainly do that, uh, Liz. It would help. Um, so caterpillars will decimate time. They tend to like it as much as I do when I'm cooking with it. Um, the other thing you can do, and yes, giving it sea salt is always good because you're replenishing the soil and getting all those microbes happening so that they'll certainly help the thyme. Um, thyme is something that I tend to grow every two or three years. So I don't try and grow it. It's a perennial, but I find that it gets quite woody in my garden after about two to three years. So um, you can buy it. Now you can buy thyme in punnets, which is a very practical way to buy them. You, you know, you can pay um, a small amount for about six to eight plants and that should last you through. So it might be worth um, putting it into a smaller pot, see how it goes. And in the meantime, fill up your multi-planter with some more and uh, get going with it. Okay, so um, now we're looking at, um, it's summer and all the planting that we're having to do at the moment. And I think the biggest thing I keep talking about over summertime is water, overwatering and underwatering. But the other thing that I tend to bang on about is, um, is mulch. Uh, sorry, not mulch. Mulch is another thing, is soil improver. So we have um, very sandy soils here in West Australia. Um, there's not a lot of us in, in Australia that have good loamy soils that don't need some sort of additive in it if you're planting out. So one of the products that, um, that I think is a really good product to use is a soil conditioner. And it's, um, I'm sorry, I've gone and put them, there we go. Um, and it's the Scott's Performance Naturals Organic Based Soil Improver. Um, it's an, as it says, it's an organic-based um, improver, and it certainly does work. I've been trialling it out, and I quite like it. Um, plus, it's better for the environment. I love this aspect of it. You know, you buy soil improver, and you might have, um, you know, maybe ten plants to to put in, you and or big trees to put in. You want to buy ten bags of it. You've got all this plastic left over, and I love the fact that the Scots have put their thought into even the recycling of this plastic. It's 50% recycled plastic, and so it can be put in through the red cycling uh, program, which I think is fantastic. So to start with, the plastic is great. The product inside it is fantastic also. Um, it's got a unique low odor formula. So, you know, which is, I don't mind the smell of, of the manure and the organic smell. I'm actually um, a bit attached to it. But if you're carrying it home in your car, etc., it a it, it's good value because you don't have that high um, smell with it. Um, you know, if you're using if if you're using a um, a soil improver, you're looking for the overall health, and it it'll increase the resistance to the drought tolerance of your plant. Also, it'll help with um, disease and insect attack. If you no, know, the healthier your plant is going to be, the healthier the healthier the soil is at least, the healthier your plant will be, and therefore the the pests and diseases don't attack it as much either. So it's really important. I find it difficult when people come in and I'll ask them, do you have a soil improver? 
to plant into and many people go oh yes I do and you sort of get the feeling that they don't they just don't want to spend the money on it but if you don't spend the money on putting a good soil improver into your soil with your plant you, your plants become a cost rather than an investment you generally they won't last as well you'll put more water onto them um, you know they don't get the same sort of aeration that they need um, so really it's it's very important that we use um, a good soil improver um, and Scots have certainly developed some good products over the years um, and from what I can see of using the organic based soil improver it's a good one and it, it works all around like even if you're in the hills of Perth or in the heavier clay soils around the Adelaide Hills also, this will open the soil. So you won't use as much as if you were in the soil, in the sandy soil on the plains. But if you've got a clay soil and you use some of this soil improver, it'll open up, it'll aerate the soil for you. It'll add that rich nitrogen that it needs to, to uh, boost the root system off also and help it, um, help the plants take off, which will mean you don't have to care for them as much. They're being cared for at, this, at the root system where they need to be. So that's um, the Scots performance. You can find Scots in most garden centres, certainly in your bunning stores and around there. So, um, yeah, get some soil improver into your soil and don't, don't go without it. Are you doing your garden, you're doing your pocket a disservice. So, talking of plants my plant of the week. I've got a couple of them today um, and I thought since it was so hot at the moment we would start with one that is an indoor plant. Okay so this is just a simple, well this one isn't, but there's a, a variety of plants called syngoniums and there's all sorts of colours. The leaves are amazing. You can see behind here we've got some of the uh, paler green ones with the white in them. Um, there's ones that are a limey green and their veins are pink. There's others with bronze. The top is bronze. The top of the leaf is bronze. This one that I bought is a new one to us and it's called Red Arrow. I was going to call it Red Leaf. It's Red Arrow. There is one called Red Leaf. Um, it's got this beautiful deep green leaf on it. Um, and it's, it's actually known, horticulturally, it's known as a chocolate colour. Um, and you can't quite see it here, but it's, it's a very deep green. And then underneath, it's red. All right. Um, so it's, uh, yeah, it's a beautiful little plant. Syngoniums are a plant that will grow indoors really well. Um, I've got some growing outdoors at the garden centre, but it's in a very moist position. It's around a, a pond, so it would need quite a lot of moisture if you've got it outdoors where it's got more sunshine and more, excuse me, more heat. Um, the uh, syngonium will, in the growing period, which is between spring and autumn, will require or do well with a, um, a feed, a fertilise every month. They will grow up to about a metre in length. Um, they're, they're fantastic inside, outside in the right conditions. Easy, easy to grow. It's a plant I gave to my granddaughter um, and I cut a piece off mine and I put some in some little jars that I bought for her. And she's now got those in her bedroom. Um, so this is one of those ones that you can propagate in a jar really easily or grow in a jar and not have to put it into soil at all. So that's the red arrow. Look out for that at your garden centre. I know it's new over here in Perth. It's possibly the same over in the east. The other one, I had a, a different uh, plant to bring in this morning, which hopefully I'll bring back next time. Um, but I left it in my van overnight and I dropped all the flowers off it, which was a bit silly. So I, I raced into the garden centre this morning and I picked up this wonder. I love this plant. It's called the snail vine is its common name. Um, I'm going to put it up really close for you to have a look at the beautiful flowers. They're highly scented um, and it's an easy uh, plant to grow. Um, this one is a very vigorous climber, so you don't want to put it in a dainty little spot. You want to give it a good area to grow into. Um, again, it's not going to like um, the hot wind. So if you're living in Perth um, or even in Adelaide where I know you get lots of hot winds there, uh, you might find that it, it burns quite easily. So put it into a sheltered position. 
Um, but, you know, a, somewhere sheltered where perhaps you've got some seating, it's wonderful. In the evening, early evening, the smell from this just exudes and it's a wonderful plant. Easy to grow, doesn't really get attacked by much of anything other than, you know, a few aphids, perhaps some caterpillars. But that's normal. You guys just have to deal with that all the time anyway. So that's the snail vine. They're flowering at the moment, so you'll probably find them throughout Australia in the garden centres. Get down and have a look for them. Okay, so that's that one. Now, on Saturday, uh, Trevor and the team celebrated 20 years of the Garden Gurus. As I said, that's an amazing feat, isn't it? 20 years we've been going. Um, here's a little sneak peek of what's to come in episode two. is a wonderful time to be outside and as a gardener it's the best time of year to plant. Kings Park and Botanical Garden has a mission and it's introducing more and more of us to the beauty of this unique biosphere. One of the greatest things about gardening has to be the people you meet along the way. We gardeners are a bit of a strange lot. We like to grow the most exotic plants possible, like this gorgeous white monkey tail. It's worth getting, uh, having a look at, so have a look at that this, um, this week on Saturday. Um, so back to the, the questions. Let's see what we've got. Oh, hello, Tyson. Tyson's from Baronia. Um, and can you give me some tips and advice on how I can plant my cauliflower seeds in my garden bed, please? Okay. So um, I tend to plant cauliflower seeds straight into the bed. Um, I do them in, in rows and um, I just put them straight in Tyson. I tend to try and space them out so that they're not too close. And um, I always use a bit of sea sole when I plant into the garden. Um, don't do it yet. It's a little bit early. Um, even in Baronia and Victoria, it's just a little bit earlier. early. I'd wait another month before you do that. Um, so I hope that helps you, Tyson. Um, okay, so Valerie's in New South Wales at Lake Cathy. Could you please advise on the best palms for indoors, looking at a couple of bamboo palms? I think you've got it. To me, I know that a lot of people grow um, indoors over here. They're growing the, the golden cane palms. Um, I don't find them as easy to grow. I think the easiest palm for me, or two of the easiest palms would be um, bamboo palm and a parlor palm. So the parlor palm, of course, is a much smaller plant um, and it is, uh, it's a really good one. It'll take a lot of lower light also. The bamboo palm I love. It's easy to grow and it's one of the palms that as it sheds or loses a frond, it regrows one. So you can often, instead of having this long lean and all the, the foliage up the top, it'll give it to you down the bottom and it'll maintain it for you too. So I think, in my opinion, bamboo palm um, palms are great. In fact, I took one home a couple of weeks ago to fill in a gap um, and it looks great. So yeah, enjoy it. So Rodney, he's in Raceview, which is in southeast Queensland. Um, the rain has stopped, yay. Uh, but we've had a lot of rain over the last four days. You certainly have, um, Rodney. My, my daughter was there last week and um, it was certainly raining. Um, you have about 12 Kent pumpkins on a vine that are starting to show signs of rot on where the pumpkins are laying on the wet ground. Do you think I should pick them up or hold them, hold off a bit? Mm. I don't know whether I'd pick them. It depends on how close it is. You know, if you're relatively close to them being ready, then you could pick them. Otherwise, um, is there a way that you can put them in a sling and lift them off or prop them up off the ground and then try and dry them off a bit? Um, I don't know. I think once the rot gets into them, you, you might find that you've lost those, I'm afraid. Uh, but give it a go. Give it a go. See if it works and good luck with that. And I'm glad the rain has stopped for you guys. Um, Kathy's in Melbourne, she's in the northern suburbs and she's interested in growing the ivory curl plant. What do you think about the plant and would it grow okay in Melbourne? I really like the ivy curl plant. Um, I'm not sure that it would grow easily in Melbourne, although if you've got it in the right position it would. You know what I would do though, Kathy? I would go down to your local nursery 
and I'd have a chat with them about it to see if they can even get it. It's a hard plant to find over here. Um, I can't get it for the nursery all the time. In fact, it's I really I often send people to this wonderful nursery called Xantheria um, for that reason that I know that they'll probably have it. So perhaps um, try your local garden centre and see if you can uh, find it. It should grow okay, but it'll be one of those plants that you have to garden that you can't just put in and leave. Then so we're moving on to Debbie. Um, and she's Debbie didn't say where she's from, but she doesn't need to this time because she's asking, why do you use sulfur on bulbs? So what I do with them is I, um, I always use the sulfur once they're lifted out of the ground and um, I dust them with the sulfur and put them into paper bags and then I generally keep them where I keep my towels and my linen so that they're in a, a dry position that's not too hot. Um, and that way it stops things like mites and the bugs getting to them so that they're nice and clean and ready, excuse me, for next year. So that's, that's why I put sulphur on bulbs. Garden Express are Australia's leading mail order gardening service offering a wide range of quality garden products. Each week on the Garden Gurus Live, the team at Garden Express will share a weekly offer. So make sure after today's show, you jump online and visit their website. Janet, um, come on, you guys, you've got to tell me where you are. Um, it, it's hard enough asking your questions, let alone where you are, not knowing where you are. So Janet, she says her watermelons have a small hole on the underside, about 12 inches long, um, long then eaten out. Yes, so um, I'd be moving your watermelons. I'd be lifting your watermelons straight away. Um, you've obviously got something that is eating into them. I'm not sure what exactly. I'm not sure where you are, so I can't really tell you what it is. But you've got a bug of some sort that's certainly eating into them, um, and so I'd probably lift those. Jennifer is in southwest Sydney, and she's asking, can I propagate from a Madagascar palm? You could certainly give it a go. Um, you'd want to uh, wait for the seeds to come through for that. And I think you might have to um, scarify them, which is put them on a bit of sandpaper. I'm fairly sure the Madagascan palm has a really hard shell around it. Um, and then you would um, keep it moist by maybe some cotton wool and wet and see if you can get it to, um, to throw a shoot, um, germinate. Um, other than that, I'm not too sure how to do a Madagascan palm. It will be hard. If you've got one, that's fantastic. Um, and they should grow really well in Sydney also. Um, Joe is in East Perth. Um, we're moving in a few weeks and want to take my special roses. Is it all right to dig out in a large pot with good potting mix? Um, in a few weeks, yes. I would leave those to almost the day before you're moving if that's at all possible. Um, leave it as long as possible. Um, you want to be able to prune those roses back. So get um, maybe go to a, your garden centre. You're only in East Perth. Perhaps come out to the Guildford Garden Centre. We can uh, provide you with some tree bags which are, have a wider base so that you, when you cut those, when you dig them out at least, you can take as much of the root system as possible with you. Um, before you do it, I would maybe get some um, Vita-Rich or some um, sea sole and sea sole the ground so that you're preparing the roots for when you're going to dig those out. Take as much of the root system as possible, uh, put them into some really good premium potting mix um, and uh, also cut back to the, the, the foliage to the size of the roots. So if the roots are this size, you don't want the foliage to be any wider than that also. Okay, so yes, you can do it, uh, but try and leave it as long as possible. We know that we're in for a little bit more hot weather yet. Um, but if you're moving and, and by the time you move, if you've recognised that the mornings are getting cooler, then it's time you can, you can do it. Not as successfully as if you're doing it in June, but you can certainly do it. And good luck with that. Uh, Matthew is in Melbourne in the western suburbs and our gardens are mainly natives. Are there any that may be bad for dogs and also indoor plants, are there any that are bad for dogs? Well, actually, Matthew, yes, there are quite a few plants that are bad for, bad for cats and dogs. In fact, we get this question a lot at the garden centre and people ask us, you know, what plants, is this plant poisonous? Most plants are poisonous. 
Petunias are poisonous. Jasmine is poisonous. Um, Syngonium, this was uh, my plant of the week. Syngoniums are poisonous to cats and dogs. Keep these sorts of plants up high. Let them trail down or let them trail across your room rather than down where your new pup uh, might want to play with them. Um, there's many, many plants are poisonous. I think one of the things I would do, Matthew, is I would Google... Um, uh, I would Google and have a look at what plants are poisonous and I would get a list of those. There's too many really for me to start listing them out. But I know that um, a number of the garden centres, I know Xantheria, I'm pretty sure they've got one, um, of plants that are poisonous. So how I would have a look at that. I think if you've got a dog that is inclined to eat things, um, especially puppies that are experimenting, then you probably want to... Um, get that list and make sure that your, your garden is safe for your animals as well as for you. All right, so I'm very sorry if we didn't get through to your questions today. The hour's gone awfully fast. Um, we really appreciate all the engagement. I love that you trust us enough to, to send in your questions and um, uh, Robin will be sending out um, any of the, uh, the seed winners, the winners of the seed packets this week. Um, and next week, um, don't forget in uh, Perth, it's a public holiday next week. Um, so Trevor won't be on on Monday. He'll be here on Tuesday. Um, and there'll be another, for another session of the Garden Gurus Live. Now it's 12 p.m. Eastern, um, Australian Eastern Daylight Time and 9 a.m. for the WA viewers. Um, don't forget to get your video submissions and photos in via safe, uh, Facebook by this Wednesday and that way it makes it nice and easy for us to produce it to get it all happening for you and we can answer those questions. Remember, please remember, state your name but more importantly the state and where you're from. It makes it so much easier for us to answer the question and direct the answer back at your garden rather than somewhere else. Um, and then of course you can always jump on our website and catch up on previous stories at The Garden Gurus. Um, at thegardengurus.tv or go to the YouTube channel which is also thegardengurus.tv um, and then of course you can listen back on the live stream and catch up on previous episodes through Spotify, Apple Podcasts and Audible. Don't forget, most importantly this week on Saturday, episode two of the Garden Gurus 20th anniversary series will be airing at 4.30 local time on Channel 9. Thanks very much. I've had a really good time. I hope you've enjoyed it and you've got some answers to help you and your questions. And happy gardening, everybody. The Garden Gurus is back with a brand new season this weekend. Make sure to check out your local TV guide for your time.